Welcome to It's On My List podcast, where 9 out of 10 words coming out of my mouth will be swear words. This is a lively show led by lovely, cheerful sailors. Behold, the fun is about to begin. Hi guys, it's Arate. I'm here with Belinda, Sabrina and Annie again for the second time. And today's movies and theme are Revenge, Justice and Redemption, because who doesn't like a couple of weirdos? And the movies are Mystic River and The Secret in Their Eyes. But of course, it's the Argentinian version because the American one was just a big mistake. Just uh, mind you, this episode is full of spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, just stop. Or if you don't give a flying crap, just keep on listening. Also, you will notice that the audio is not that good because this episode was recorded back in March when we didn't know what we were doing. But bear in mind that it's going to get better. So sit tight and enjoy. This week's session, we have Mystic River. Before we get started, did you guys enjoy it? Yes, yes. Okay, you enjoyed it. Annie, you saw it like a thousand years ago. Fair enough. Um, but I saw it again. Yeah, me too. Yay! Yes, <laughs> I saw it again. I saw both movies again. I did my homework. Me too. Okay. Um, so do you want me to go through a bit of trivia, you know, information or details that? Okay. Um, so as you may know by now, it's a 2003, um, this movie was shot in 2003. Uh, it's directed by Clint Eastwood, and he also composed the score of the movie. What? And really? Yes, he did. And it features Sean Penn, Tim Robbins, and Kevin Bacon, among many others. Um, it's based on a book written by Dennis Lehane. Sorry, Dennis, if whatever you are. So it was nominated um, to the next Oscars, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor to Sean Penn. Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Supporting Actress to Harden, and Best Supporting Actor to Tim Robbins. And actually, the only winning Oscars were Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor, which made the movie uh, the first movie to win both categories ever since Ben Hall was um, at the Oscars in 1959. Wow. wow. That's really good. Did my homework, bitches. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is um, good. So the movie was shot in Boston, and everything happens in Boston, but sometimes when there's not enough money, they shoot somewhere else. Well, this time they really shot in Boston. Um, and there was a lot of controversy in France, because, as you may remember, one of the pedophiles had a ring with a cross on it. Mm -hmm. um, so in France, it was seen as something against the Catholic Church, so mm -hmm. they were not sure they wanted to release the movie, blah, blah, blah. But Clint Eastwood... Uh, he went ahead, he decided that that was part of the movie and, you know, they could do whatever they wanted. And that's but that's the weird. Way. I mean, you would expect it from a country like Italy, for example. <laughs> yeah, or Spain, yeah. Or Spain. Interesting. Apparently they didn't say anything. I mean, to be fair, even though, um, and now for real, even though France is not a very Catholic country, I mean, it's actually the opposite. Um, they do have a big thing for respect to different religions. So it might come from that. I don't know. This is just my opinion. That's true. Okay. So one of the Savage brothers was actually from Boston. So uh, he would actually be the one telling them if they were doing the accent right or not. I love uh, that. Yeah. And um, so I got this because apparently they did, uh, you know, these um, recordings where the actors um, speak on top of the movie. Dubbing. No, oh, sorry, the commentary. Yeah. Uh, so Tim Robbins and Kevin Bacon did that. Apparently, uh, Clint Eastwood is not a big fan of those. Um, and they explained that that one of the Savage Brothers 
would tell them off if the accent was, you know, off. Um, and then apparently, Tim Robbins got the offer to be in the movie after Sean Penn was already, after Sean Penn had already agreed to be on it. Uh, but by the time Tim Robbins accepted, apparently Sean Penn started rethinking it. So he had to call him and said, dude, we're doing this movie, so you better accept it. So he was eventually the one who convinced him to be in it. And then other than that, uh, well, they were also explaining that the scene where they find the body and, you know, Sean Penn has been um, stopped by all these policemen and he's having um, a very powerful moment. Um, they did that. So even when they were rehearsing, apparently he gave such a performance that it would give the chills to Kevin Bacon. Like it, it, it really seemed that it was real, that he had found a relative there. Wow. wow. Yeah, that scene was emotional. It was, yeah. yeah. And that's all the trivia that I have. Well, going okay. back to the accent, I actually, this time I noticed because um, you know how in a lot of uh, Boston movies, they really go for the accent. Mm -hmm. They make it a point to show that you're in Boston. Um, and it's usually it's a very hard accent, and I think that all the Boston actors agree that um, it, it's not done well by non-Bostonians. But in this movie, it was more subtle, and I really liked that yeah. because um, not not I mean not every not everyone in their hometown talk with such a thick accent. Mm -hmm. I know I know I mean I I don't have a very thick accent from Salta specifically you know it's more I hate using the word neutral but for sake of argument do you know what I mean and I, and I kind of like that because they didn't they didn't overdo it mm -hmm. it was more natural I think yeah no you're right because I even forgot like a few times that it was even set in Boston yeah. because the accent you know not disappeared but like you know I didn't really it didn't occur to me do you know what I mean and it came yeah. out like every now and then and then I remembered I was like oh yeah it's Boston because even you, you're like, oh, it's in Boston. I was like, oh yeah, oh my god, like, yeah. I forgot completely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think it adds to a little. It adds a little more realness because, I mean, we were talking about the, the other day in London. How many accents do you have? Yeah, and you're all from London. Mm. So I don't know. It wasn't. So Sorry. Um, no, I just want to say that funny thing is that in 2019, Kevin Bacon was on the on this series called City on a Hill, the one that I was translating into Basque. Oh, and, it's, mm. and in that one, he does have a thicker accent. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you sent me some clips and I was struggling with you, remember? Yeah. <laughs> he has a very thick accent. And even to the point where in Mystic River, so I, as I'm not a strong English speaker, I, I, I can tell some accents, but, you know, not really. And if it's more neutral, I struggle to see the, I mean, I don't know, if it's going to be Clayton from The Simpsons, I can tell that they're from the south of the US, but, you know, I struggle somehow. And in, in the show City on a Hill, you clearly see and notice that they're from Boston. Yeah. 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 I'm a huge fan of Boston. I'm just going to put in my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. And I love, love, love all the Bostonian actors. And there are a lot. I don't know. I Mark love it. Wahlberg is one, right? Mark Obviously. Wahlberg. All the Wahlbergs, uh, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, 
John Krasinski. Oh, no way, John. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, the, so Ben Affleck, which means Casey Affleck. Um, yeah, because Good Will Hunting was set in Boston as well, wasn't it? Yeah, and they're all, so they're all putting on that accent. They do use a real thick accent there. I yeah. mean, women really speak with a thick accent. Mm -hmm. and, and Robin Williams also does a really good accent there. You know, I watched that movie two nights ago because I hadn't seen it for ages, and I was like, "Oh, I want to watch it." You know, like a throwback Monday. Um, and I have to say that Tom, uh, sorry, Tom, um, Robin Williams's performance is just something out of the world. Absolutely, absolutely. It gives you the chills, and and the accent is just perfect. That I see him after really Very good trivia. I loved it. Amazing. Amazing. Clint Eastwood was um, musically inclined, so that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have to say that with Clint Eastwood, I have my heart is kind of broken because he's this very American Republican gun. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. But then he takes this kind of plot and makes really controversial issues, beautiful movies. Um, and I have to say that I, I love him as a director. Like every movie I've seen with him behind the camera is just a masterpiece. You can't fault them. Yeah. Like, no, I agree. Every film 100%. I've seen of his has been amazing. Also, yeah. 70s Clint Eastwood, 60s, 70s Clint Eastwood. He's on yeah. the Yeah, Western Clint Eastwood is yeah. major like hello. the best Westerns. And I'm not a huge fan of Westerns, but he does really good Westerns. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Madison County is just like uh, well, Madison County is just beyond amazing. But yeah, I think it, 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 it you know it brings up this thing that um, do we do we judge on do we judge on their personal beliefs and stuff like that, or or do we judge on their art? You know, because I think I draw the line. I don't know. I draw a line with. Roman Polanski, now a Woody, a Woody Allen. But when it comes to politics, I don't know. I kind of feel that the story uh, takes prominence, you know? Mm -hmm. 100%. No, that's, that's for sure. I, I still respect him as a director, but I, I have to be honest and say that it does affect my opinion towards them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... Um, it's not the fact that they're Republican, because I don't know, um, Tom Selleck is Republican as well. And you know, and I think he's a great actor. But it's the fact that he was supporting gun control like so vividly and their rights to buy guns and all that stuff. You know, it's that's, that's where I draw the line. It's not yeah. what you vote, but what kind of cause you support. Don't judge me, but what struck me more than that on him was the fact that his wife appears on one of those Housewives TV shows, and then he appears there as a, yeah, and that bothered me more really? than his, yes, what one? I can't remember Real Housewives of wherever, and it's his what? wife, and yes, yes, and they were part of the show, and that bothered me more than what he wants to do with his gun. I know that sounds stupid, but I was just like, what is this tech fest? I think yeah, she's his wife. I'm not sure, but yeah. Who's his wife? Uh, I need to Google. Uh, so you're gonna say Anita? <laughs> I need to Google. <laughs> 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 
That's so interesting. Huh. Yeah, wow. So yeah, apparently there was a scene where Kevin Bacon was having coffee and he spilled the, the like some coffee yes. he had an accident yes. with the mug. And everyone was like, Okay, we have to do it again, we have to shoot it again. And he was like, Are you kidding me? The scene was perfect, just leave it in and that's that's fine. Mm. And when they find the body, they wanted to have this uh, scene where they shoot at the um, at the trees, and then all the birds start flying away. And they tried to do it, but only one bird started flying. And they were saying that most of the times directors just go on and on and on until they get the scene that they want. And at some point, Clint was like, "You know what? Whatever." There's no scene with trees and birds. That's that moving on. So apparently, he's a very straight to the point man. Who's this guy? David Fincher doesn't he? Isn't he known for doing a hundred takes of one single scene over and over and over again? Um, David Fincher isn't he known for doing? You always see memes of him on like. No, no, but what films has he done? David Fincher, he's done um, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Okay. Mara, a Gone Girl. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently he's notorious for using many, many takes, like an obscene amount of takes of one of one scene. That's obviously that scene when they're in the cafeteria or whatever and um, Kevin Bacon's talking to Sean Penn and Sean Penn with his wife and he gets angry and he bangs the coffee, right? You know, because I just, I remember watching him thinking, wow, that's like, it seems so natural. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I yeah, it was really, it was just a nice touch. I loved it. Yeah, when when I when I read about it, I thought I thought it, you know, like in real life, you spill things, and mm. that happens, so it helps get a better picture of what could happen. Movies tend to be on a very curated side, you know, make sure that everything is cinema perfect, but actually, it's. The movies that bring out this realness that you know what draws your attention i don't know i have more time and i prefer that yeah yeah exactly because i don't know i don't know for example I don't, a love scene i mean who makes love with you know flowy curtains under the rain you know no one when you know when you make love it's awkward and messy and passionate and you know so it brings a certain realness. You spill things, you trip, you fall, you have sex. You It brings a realness too. I, yeah. I prefer that. That kind of reminded me of the movie Buffalo 66 with um, oh. you know, Richie. I was like, when I was watching it, I was like, it, it, it kind of just reminded me of that. But it's like imperfectly perfect. And it, like, it's just, it's simple, but it's not. Yeah, it's just, there was just something about it that just drew my attention. And it reminds me of what you were saying, basically. I mean, you want to believe the characters. You want to believe that they are these people and that they're living this situation, whatever it is, and that they are able to transmit through the camera, you know, this this feeling that provokes a visceral reaction in the audience, you know, whatever that reaction is. Um, sometimes, I don't know if it happens to you guys, but you just, you just love a good villain, you know? Uh, I mean because they bring a certain realness to, to the story. I, I, I think that's why I love indie films because they don't have time to perfect the scene, you know, because there's no money, there's no time. They, they, they bring their A game, they do it. And what you see is the real thing. That's a very good point. Yeah, it's more lifelike, yeah.
Okay, so should we go around the room and give our particular specific opinion about the movie? Like yes. What you had, what you liked. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. Annie, if you don't mind, I'm going to start with the Yonan sisters because they, they hadn't seen it before. Yes. So something we loved, basically the opening of the film with him getting into that car, uncertainty in his face, and he's leaving. The same thing happens to him. And, and what he comes back and it's not him, right? like he's died. The child returns, but the, the person's gone. And then that second time that he gets into the car with Sean Penn's guys, he went away to his eventual it's the same thing. You're getting him peeking around the back. It's the exact same shot as an adult. And again, he's leaving away in a car, and it's fate uncertain. And it's like, this guy's definitely not going to come back. So I really like the parallel there. Mm. Yeah. Also, oh, sorry, go. No, no, no. Also, adding to that parallel, um, Dave is the only one who can't write out his full name. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to add. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, because you made that point of the fact that he never really had a chance at the beginning of the film. He didn't even write his name, kind of showed it towards the end. Like, you know, he didn't even get to do that. He didn't get a shot at all. Yeah. Which is really sad. Really Yeah. That was really deep. Yeah, and I just love this. Anything that Sean Penn's in, I'm there for. Or Tim Robbins, or Kevin Bacon. This, this man can do no wrong in my eyes. And his performance was just amazing, especially when he's, you know, he's like, oh, is that my daughter? That's my daughter's car. It's my daughter's car. And it's just, you can feel his pain. I just want to get to the people just so I can go to his daughter. And then um, when he's at that conversation that he was having with um, Tim Robbins' character outside on the porch, and he's just crying. And he's, he said, I can't remember what he said, but it's. I can't cry for my own daughter. I can't, I can't you're crying now. No, but he made another point. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I just want to be able to hold her. Hold her. Yeah. And then he did this with his arms, and that just broke my heart. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's an amazing actor. His, he's, he's just so good. So, so good. Mm. I feel he gets a bad rep. Why? Because of his personal life. Yeah. What's what? Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I mean, because of his personal life, because of... I feel like he gets a really bad rep and people forget that he is one he's of the greats. Oh, yeah. He is definitely one of the greats. I mean, I've never heard I've never heard a good or bad how he is on set because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't do a lot of press or interviews mm -hmm. to promote movies. But I, I always, when I see him in film, yeah. I always, it always brings me back to, for example, like a Daniel Day-Lewis. They are all about the craft and the story mm -hmm. and, and, you know, showing their, showing whatever range they need to show to, to make that their character believable. And I just have so much respect for that because they are just beyond amazing and you can't stop looking at them. I mean, even mm -hmm. in, even if they're in the background, you just want to see what they're doing. He's one of the actors that always delivers. I don't know, like you can see his different characters. You know, he's not he's not the kind of person who gets stuck in in one character because he can be Sam or he can be, you know, the evil in, in Mystic River. So you, he can go from a caring dad um, who loves his daughter but is mentally challenged and cannot take care of her to suddenly being the bad guy in Boston who kills his friend, you know? Like, he has all these wide range 
or he can even be Ursula's fiance in France. You know, it's like he <laughs> in in one specific character. But even even in Mystic River, he's two different people. Mm, yeah. yeah, because I didn't even expect him at the beginning. I never in a million years would have thought this man will kill his friend. Like I just yeah. didn't. I didn't put those two like together. I yeah, just, but I like, like, as a criminal is just gradually unraveling, unraveling as exactly. It, as and the fact that he killed before because he he murdered yeah. that you know the the uh, the Brendan the, his dad, yeah. dad so you never know that until the end where he shows this side of him but this is very weird for me I never hate him throughout the movie not even no, no, no. not even spoiler alert when he kills uh, Dave you know because. You put yourself in in, in a, a father's shoes. Like I put myself in his shoes of thinking, what would I do if someone kills my child? You know, you never know. You never know how you're going to react. You never know what will happen. You know, I'm not saying, you know, go and kill. No, but you never know how you're going to react. And I love that until the very end, he doesn't know. He doesn't know what he's going to do because he's, I feel, I feel, I felt through the entire film that he's grieving for his daughter and that even killing his friend is part of this grief that he has to go through. I actually agree and disagree with you on that. Mm -hmm. Very at the, like at the very end when, when they're at the parade and Kevin Bacon looks at him and you know, he goes like that and he just, you know, salutes him and you can see Dave's widow. Yeah crying because she cannot find him yeah there i did hate them both because he's he's above justice because kevin bacon as a policeman he does know that his friend killed Dave. he doesn't do anything yeah and the thing is that i can understand uh well i can understand to a point i can try to understand his grief but the truth is that he killed someone who was innocent here's the thing because then you find out that dave killed someone but he, yeah, he was a pedophile. Yeah, exactly. But, but there, no one you him. there you go. It's it's the the. Uh, ha, um, it, this is a, a question, a vocabulary question. How do you say absolution in in religion? You know, absolution. Yeah. Who? So he he kills someone. He kills a pedophile, which don't get me wrong, like do not deserve to be on this earth. But he kills a pedophile. But Sean Penn kills someone who he thinks killed his daughter. So who's yeah. who's who's right and who's wrong? You know what I mean? I mean, they're both yeah. killers. It, generally speaking, they're both killers. Who's more innocent, or who's justified more, or who gets more absolution? You know what I mean? It's it. I, I love that the movie makes you think of like, yeah, he killed an an innocent guy, but he killed a guy who was innocent of this particular crime. I think it's all linked to you know when. Kevin Bacon tells Sean Penn, I feel like we all got in that car with Dave. Yeah. When they have that conversation, I think that sentence comes from the fact that they all have their own burden and and that makes them be the way they are. As in, Sean Penn probably wouldn't have been, um, I don't know, uh, like a thief or whatever he was, um, and he wouldn't have killed um, RJ or whatever his name was. Mm-hmm. Or, um, and then he wouldn't have killed Dave and Dave wouldn't have killed the pedophile so it kind of shaped all three characters oh, yeah all of them well he says that no when they're having the first interview do you ever stop and think 
if you make one different decision in your life, you know, how your life can change. I really, I, I, I don't know. I kind of, I really like this blurred line where you're stuck in the middle and you're like, okay, where, what is right? What is, I mean, you know, what's right and what's wrong, but under these extreme circumstances, what is right and what is wrong. Mm -hmm. And the way the characters are portrayed as well. Yeah, exactly. There is one character that I fully despise in the whole movie, as in because Sometimes of his wife, yeah. Laura Lenny. His wife, yes. And <laughs> wait, Sean Penn's, Sean Penn's wife or Tim Robbins' wife? Because I dislike Tim Robbins' wife. Oh, did you? Mm. I just no, no, I dislike Sean Penn's wife because yeah. first of all, she she's mean to her daughter, to his daughter when he's she's like, uh, think that you um, bear in mind that you also have two other daughters. Two other blah, and with that sentence, you can tell she's not her mom because yeah. she's drawing the line there. Just with that sentence. And by then I was like, hmm. But then even at the end, when she goes like, because you are a king and you take care of your daughter, so you did what you had to do. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And she gives all this hate speech. And I was, I really struggled with that part. And I love her. I think she's a great actress. Yeah. But in that, I, I hated her character. Counter argument though, just for the sake of it, I actually agree with you, but just, you know, to throw it out there. I felt for her character that she truly believes it's her job to keep this man sane, strong, a king, powerful, and that oh, is, she her, you know, that's her job. And she takes it to heart. She really, she really believes that he represents power not only in their house but in the town you know because when she's lying on top of him doesn't she say something like everyone is weak we're not weak yeah and the fact that they it doesn't show but i'm guessing they they they, they have sex there and the way that she does it because I, I don't know it's just so perfect because she's on top of him you know while she's giving all of this you know she first she starts like grabbing his head you know like listen you have to listen you, you have to believe what i'm telling you then she pushes him on the bed then she climbs on top of him you know she uses everything that she has to her power as as a woman you know her 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 brains her this sense of of empowerment her sexuality to convince him that he did the right thing and i think it's because she believes it's her job to do it that you know she 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 truly thinks that is what she's there for yeah yeah yeah. that's why i despise them yeah <laughs> but, but yeah so there's my counter argument you know it, it we go back to how these characters are portrayed you know do we hate them because of what they do or do we hate them or do we actually understand them the only person i understand in the whole situation is dave but I have to say that if I had been Sean Penn in the movie, Jimmy, right? Yeah. If I had been Jimmy, I wouldn't have killed Dave because it's true that you believe up until the end that he's guilty, you know, that he killed his daughter. So you as, as the audience believe that. His wife believed that and Jimmy believed that. So I wouldn't have killed him, but I would have really tortured him to try to get information out of him. But do you think, if, even in the last minute, especially because he's got the guys there pressuring him to a degree, do you really 1000% believe, looking into his face, that he is so 100% sure that this, he's looking into the face of his daughter's killer? And he That's just makes him. 
That's a good question. Full conviction. Do you th rethink he believes it? Because even when Kevin Bacon approaches him, uh, obviously like he's, he, he's he drunk and he's in another state. Yeah. It's like he's not completely shocked. Yeah, he wasn't shocked. Yeah, yeah, because he, he the only thing that he asks is, "Are you sure?" Yeah, yeah, that's a good. It's question. like he already knew deep down that that he was probably telling the truth, but he just wanted it not to be, so that he could have just sort of taken taken his revenge and he just wanted, done it, got it yeah. over, done with, with his own closure. He wanted it to know that. Yeah. It is him, right? When he's saying, um, I'm going to get to to him before the police do. He's like, he wants to find the killer before they do. So to him, yeah. he just, all he sees is that end goal. And I think by whatever means necessary, he kind of loses sight of everything else. Yeah, he just needed a scapegoat. And that's can um can we discuss um the first time I the first time I saw the movie, you're you're shocked, you know, by the story, by the plot. You're so fixated with, you know, such giants like Sean Penn, Kevin Bacon, Tim Robbins, which honestly, I don't think Tim Robbins should be a supporting actor, but whatever. <laughs> um but this time the supporting actors are incredible. This cast is stellar, but I mean, Laura Linney, Marsha Gay Harden, even the Savage Brothers, which I, you know, they're not well-known actors. Um, Lawrence Fishbourne, uh, Fishbourne, even the boyfriend, that scene with his brother. Yes. The supporting cast in this movie is incredible. And they, and actually, if you think about it, I don't know, I, I got the feeling that they are the ones who kind of drive the story because it's very clear cut, you know, the daughter dies, the dad wants revenge. The policeman has to do his job. So those are like the three, three main ones. Yeah. But it's the supporting actors who are living it, you know, Laura Linney with her, you know, weird relationship with her husband, Marsha Gay Harden, the, the struggles that she's having with, with her husband, Tim Robbins, the struggles that he's having and not even aware that they're considering that he could be guilty of, of murdering the kid. Um, That's what told me most. Yeah, I mean- He's so oblivious to that idea. Exactly. And the, the, the boyfriend who doesn't, who, who appears very little, but in all this, the, like the three, four scenes that he's in, they are pivotal to the story. I thought he was excellent. I really, really liked him actually. Incredible. So I, I don't know. I love that the supporting cast is actually the ones for me driving the story. Mm. Yeah, I have to say that on a personal basis, I watched this movie back in 2004. So to me, that was 14, 15 years old. It was this turning point where I had always loved movies. Like my mom wouldn't believe me, but I wanted her to buy all the movies and she would be like, no, you'd watch it once and then never watch it again. And I had to fight her because I really wanted to watch them all the time. And that's when she realized, well, oh, she's kind of into movies. And so for me, 14, 15 years old is when you could access all these new movies. You know, you could rent them and you could, and you'd be old enough to do it on your own. So you could go to the shop, you know, rent it and then watch it. And it's one of the first movies that I loved ever. So I couldn't understand the whole, because when you're 14, you don't, you know, you don't do what we're doing here. Yeah. But I remember thinking, I love this cast. I love this director. I love this movie. 
Like it really marked me. It's one of my it's one of my big movies. Wow. wow. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. It was very beautiful actually. Yeah. Well, in all the sad ways. And I don't know. It's not heavy on my heart. It's a very simple story to its core, you know? You know, it's Yeah, and it's been told a thousand times. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Told a thousand times, but it's just there you th this is what I love that that's when you see that certain directors and certain screen screenwriters can actually give it a, a fresh twist and and make a very simple story, a very traditional story because I mean if we have to go back to all revenge stories in the world, I mean we can go back years and years and you know and make it different and make it you know appealing. Tattoo is my favorite movie ever in history known to humankind that is El Secreto de los Ojos, which is an Argentinian movie. It was remade by Americans as The Secret Not in Their Eyes. Not worth it. <laughs> it doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> There's a proud Argentinian in the group, just for what, our what, listeners. <laughs> it was directed by Juan Jose Campanella, and the screenplay, as Anis mentioned, was adapted by the author of the book which is Eduardo Sacheri am I and um the director as well it won the academy award for best international feature film in 2010 and it won two goyas as well for best ibero-american film and best new actress for soledad Villanil. do not read the plot decades later that's really random. Decades later, an ex-legal counselor revisits a homicidal case in order to write a novel hoping to find a closure to it and interact with his love interest, who happens to be his superior. That's a really shit description. Yeah, that is shit. Yeah. That's... Can, we, can we make one up instead? Yeah. Cool. So a retired detective, <laughs> a retired uh, counselor, legal counselor, uh, you know, revisits an old case which remained open well it didn't remain open but they never caught the suspect and uh he goes back to that time in his life and he reminisces about the woman that he once fell in love with and about this case which so uh drove him i don't know how to explain that good yeah no, no, <laughs> with no. pa passion uh, yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> Passion, yes. <laughs> Next. Next. Um, I can share some trivia if you guys want. So, yes. so first, a little history. Um, this story is set. So it it um it starts in the nineties as. Uh, B mentions and he reminisces on a very old case which was during um, the 70s in Argentina which is one of the darkest phases that the country had because of the dictatorship which lasted okay please country don't kill me but I, I, I believe it was from 1976 to 1983 I'm actually quite certain it was up till 1983 because my parents did not want to get married under a military dictatorship, so they waited. Wow. Um, they waited for uh, democracy to come back and, and got married in 1984. So yeah, so um, the, the, the dictatorship in Argentina, is, it's a very, very dark period. It, it, if you, it didn't happen that long ago. Um, 
and it it's one of those things that um it 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 happened to my parents so it's it's very it's very um the gen the generation gap is not that big you know when we talk about like war films that we were talking about last week i mean i don't have anybody or know anybody from my you know family tree who fought in the first world war but uh, my parents do have uh, known people and and friends who who went through you know really really bad stuff during that time so so yeah so it's 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 very fresh and it's a very very controversial topic in in Argentina to this day every story that is told about this dark period um usually what they do what i've seen from movies in argentina is that they kind of grab certain certain aspects of, you know about i don't know they do it showing the people in prison or they do it from the military point of view or they do it in this case um a cold case that ties in to uh this dark period or they do it for the other argentinian movie that won the oscar about um, the illegal adoption of all the kids that were born in captivity. So they kind of grab a lot of aspects of, of that um, period in Argentina and, and, and they tell their stories. So that's pretty much the history. And for trivia, I can say that, so it is the second Argent Argentinian film to win an Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. The first one was uh, La Historia Oficial in 1985, and El Secreto de Sus Ojos did it in 2010. Pablo Rago, who plays uh, Ricardo Morales, the husband, uh, actually uh, is in both movies. Ah, oh. yeah. This one was very interesting because I actually want to I, I, I want to ask the English native speakers of the group to um, when we go into it, but. Um, the director Juan Jose Campanella was was not very happy with the English translation of the title because the original title in Spanish is ambiguous. You know, it's El Secreto de Sus Ojos, um, which can mean there, theirs, him, her, whatever. And um, he wanted that to be reflected in the English translation. Um, I really like this one. As of June 2010, it is the first Argentinian movie to reach the IMDb top 250 movies of all times. Yay! Amazing. It is the second movie directed by Juan José Campanella to receive an Oscar nomination. Uh, the first one was uh, El Hijo de la Novia, which stars Ricardo Darín, who also stars in this one. Highly recommend that movie. It is a beautiful movie. It was the first Argentinian movie to be released in Blu-ray. Oh wow! I didn't know that one. Yeah, that's pretty much. That's pretty much it. Maybe right, when cool. we start talking about the movie, I can go into like the very specific cultural things if you want. But that's pretty much it. Yeah. Arate, I feel like this is your baby. Like you. Yeah. You have to go first. There's just no other way. So just for you to know, I got to know the movie in 2011, 2012, while we were studying our master's degree, thanks to Ana Salgado. And she told me that I have to watch it. I did watch it with her and I basically, I beat my nails to the point that I started bleeding. No my spot, especially on the, on the lift scene. Oh, yes. I was really stressed out there. I think I can say it's my favorite movie for different reasons. 
Firstly, it's the dialogue. I think it's just pure perfection. Like it's very fast and slow at the same time. Very specific. All the jokes that they make. Um, like when when the guy says, "You've watched too much Perry Mason," you know, when because they go to the old lady's house. And I think Pablo Sandoval's character is a masterpiece. Like the way he picks up the phone and he's always saying different things, like um, lab. Uh, no, you, you, this is the wrong one, blah, 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 blah. To me, the dialogue is perfect. Acting is just something else, but I'm a big fan of Ricardo Darín, so I'm not very objective. <laughs> but then also, I like how the main focus of the movie is their obsession, either for the killer, either for closing the, um, the case, either for figuring out life, even though they're in their 60s. And I like there's a love story, but it's not the center of the story. It's like it goes on the side. And one of the things that really warmed my heart was how she was always like closing and opening the door of the, um, of the office based on how important it was. You know, as in if it was private, she'd be like, oh, close the door. And then she would realize that it was just work related. So she'd be opening the door. And then in the last scene, she just goes and says, close the door. And then he closes it. And there's like closure, you know, there's like, okay, it happened. Figuratively. Yeah. Um, so, and also I like how they depicted the victim's husband, as in he was really destroyed and then he manages to find a way of grievance, although I pity him somehow because I feel like he was never able to get over it. He was... He became the person who was punishing the the killer when it wasn't really his job. Mm. Um, that kind of made me feel sad. Yeah, and then it was really sad, um, Pablo Sandoval's death. But I think at the same time, it was the perfect balance between you know the relationship, how they, you know, he was always so Ricardo Darín was always taking care of him, and then one last time he was somehow giving back and trying to save him and dying instead of him. So that kind of worked out perfectly well. There's one thing that really put me off in the movie, just one thing, and it's the fact that the killer uh, is a Spanish actor, and you can really tell that his accent is fake. And I remember <laughs> not the first... He does a good job, though, don't get me wrong. He, he, I mean, if I had to pretend I was Argentinian, he would throw garbage at me. But... That so the first time I didn't realize, but the second time when I was watching it, I was like, This guy, there's something weird about him. And I looked him up, and he's actually Spanish, and you can tell that he's not Argentinian. He looks Spanish to me, yeah, yeah, he does, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's my point of view, but I think he's just a masterpiece. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there ain't nothing to follow up with that. It's, I think, it's uh, unanimous. It's perfectly said. Um, I, I saw this movie when it came out in cinemas back home. Wow. Um, you know, our, our Argentinian, Argentinian cinema, is, is, it's, it's really, really good. And sadly, because um, it falls under the category of, of, of Latin cinema, it's sometimes, um, you know, underrated and, and not, not seen. But... Argentinian specifically when there's a lot of buzz behind a movie, we all flock to the cinema to see the movie. You know, we we try to 
to give it money. And I remember watching that movie and I don't remember much because it was a very long time ago, but I do remember one thing and this is, this is the definition of why I love stories. When you get so lost in a story and get so lost in the character, um, Pablo Sandoval is portrayed by a, a, an extremely famous actor in Argentina called Guillermo Franchella. He is incredibly well-known. You would recognize him under a rock. That is how well-known he is. When I first saw the movie, I did not recognize Guillermo Frantilla uh, uh, in his character. It wasn't wow. until the credits came up that it says, Ricardo Darín, Soledad Villamil, Guillermo Franchella. And I was like, wait, what? Guillermo Franchella. And then, you know, uh, of course, it ends up being Sandoval. And, um, and I, I have that very clear memory of saying, wow, this is what I love when actors and directors go the extra mile um, where they become unrecognizable. They completely are immersed in their characters. And uh, as an Argentinian, I did not recognize this incredibly famous actor. So he's just perfect in it. Yeah, he is amazing. Like, the dialogue he has, you know, like mm. he's funny, but he doesn't want to be funny. As in, he doesn't do it on purpose. Like, yeah, to me, it's perfect. And and she's great too. Like because at, because she's acting against Ricardo Darín, who's a very well-known actor. He's a big actor in Argentina. He's a big actor worldwide because yeah. I mean, I know him. So you know, and she does amazingly well. Yeah, she's just hot on. Yeah. To be honest, until I read that description, I didn't realize this was like her coming into the industry. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. She's. I haven't seen her in a lot of stuff. She has acted. Um, I think she acted with Ricardo Darín in another movie, but um, it happens here in Spain, you know, and I mean, it happens everywhere in the industry. You have certain, you know, categories of actors and. She she definitely falls under the, you know, an important category, especially after this movie. Mm, it, yeah, yeah. Um, we, yeah. I don't know. This movie, this movie for me is just it. It, it really is a perfect movie. Uh, if I go on the technical side, it, it I, I can talk for hours, but it's basically it's the perfect story. For me, it's yes. it's the perfect story. It ties up everything so well. Um, it's very, very tricky to go back in time um, and use the same actors. Mm -hmm. Use the same actors to go yeah. back in time. Um, constant flashbacks. Um, make sure that's that makeup as well. That makeup was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, because it was subtle. Yeah. It didn't look stupid. exactly it was just so important. Exactly. Um, you know. The, the, the transitions between the present and the past are seamless um, because it's very, I think it's very, very tricky when, when movies try to, to start, you know, on flashbacks because the movie starts in the nineties in the present day, you know? So 
for me, for me, the the story is what sold me one hundred percent. I was just so so hooked by the story, and I felt I felt for every single character. You know, I, I you feel bad for the victim. You you feel frustration um, for for even Ricardo Darín's character. You know that he has to leave. You. Um, you feel pity for the husband. Um, it, it's like an emotional roller coaster. Um, yeah. There's another thing that I didn't like, technically speaking, and it's when at the end, when he leaves the farm, and he's not really convinced with the story that the husband has told him, and he's like, "There's something here that They're doing like the little flashes when he's in the car. Yes, when he's driving, and you can really tell that there's a blue screen, a green screen. Oh, uh, I was going to say that. I was like, you can see he's driving in a uh, thingy <laughs> car. It's a green screen, yeah. Okay. And, and when they have this really close, uh, sorry, close shot with the um, killer, and he tells him, please ask him to talk to me at least. Yeah. Um, you can see that the makeup, like you can tell he has makeup to look older. Hmm. Yeah, you can, yeah. Yeah, but the I'm I mean in terms of the the, the main characters, the makeup was spot on because like I just feel like it was seamless the way they looked like from trans yeah. transition from old yeah. to young. And then you're right with the last guy for some reason, like you noticed a lot because that was when I realized they had actually put yeah like that skin stuff, whatever that silicone material is, just to make it look like yeah. I feel like maybe it was a struggle with him because they have to show that yes, they've all aged, but with him, he's worn down in a very different way to them. So maybe, yeah, he's he's yeah. aged in prison, you know, as a prisoner. Yeah. yeah. Um. Shall we discuss the scene, the stadium scene? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's all shot in one take, no? Yes. I think that's yeah. an amazing scene. Yeah, and I also think when he locks eyes with with the the thing, the 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 killer. That's just then it's just the whole thing, the sequence from that onto the end is just unbelievable. It's amazing. Yeah. I loved it. Because I don't remember watching when I watched it the first time, I was really young, so I didn't like appreciate it like that. And then when Melinda mentioned to me, oh, it's it's you know, shot in one take, I was like, oh my god, mind blown. Yeah. Um I, what I love about that scene is um we all come from countries that, you know, football, soccer for our American listeners. Um <laughs> Is is a huge thing and and passion, and I really really love how they specify that um, no matter what you do in life, the, this this whole idea of passions. passions you you go after, you know, you will always go back to your passions, and and the mm -hmm. fact that they use such a cultural um, reference such as football is is what I love about that scene and specifically the team because it's a very it's a, it, usually in Argentina you know Boca and River and that's it it's like Barcelona and Real Madrid but there are you know very uh, important teams and traditional teams and, and Racing is one of them um, so yeah it's I, I just love the whole theme of passions it, it's it, it, it really because we go back to this whole thing that we were discussing with Mystic River, you know, the essence of, 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 of a person, you know, 
you can be a killer, you can be a cop, you can be whoever, but you, you're, you're still a person. You still have um, your passions and your fears and your, your motivation and, and everything. And his speech at the bar is amazing. You know, when he, he starts explaining it and he's mm. drunk, so he's not listening to him. And he's just telling him, like, listen, because I got it, you know? And the way he delivered that speech, I think it's excellent. Perfect. Yeah. It's excellent. Yeah. Although I have a question, and this is also linked to another historical question that I have. Um, so I'm going to shoot two questions. First, uh, so when the killer is released, uh, Peron is the president because they mention in the TV, you know, when they see that he's actually been released, the um, the, the host or whoever is speaking says mm -hmm. Peron, blah blah blah, just the whole name, um, was seen in the streets, blah blah blah, doing something, and then you see that he's some sort of bodyguard. So I thought he had been released by those behind the coup d'etat that happened, that made um, mm -hmm. the leadership happen. But if Evita Peron was alive, it means that it happened before. So one, I need you to clarify that for me. Two, um, so Paolo Sandoval, he gives the whole passion speech, talking to a friend who follows Rafi, right, the, the football team. Um, so he knows everything about the football players and he explains what Rathin means to him. But then, I don't know, half an hour later in the movie, they get into this fight and Ricardo Darín has to go and take him from the policeman's hand because he got into a fight with a big guy who follows Rathin and he says, he's a Nazi, um, I should punch him in the face. Yeah, I told them not to, not to call you. Mm -hmm. So... Is he fighting with him because of the political situation in the country? Is that what he meant, or it was just a bar fight? Um, I don't know. Did you understand? Yeah, you did. Um, so with regards with regards to to the historical aspect of the coup d'état, um, does does it say Eva Peron? Because actually, the so basically, the coup d'état was done to uh, Peron's second wife. Peron died in 1974, and the okay. coup d'état is two years later in 1976. Okay, so technically, he's released because they're using him, yeah, as, as a you know, as a supporter of the coup d'état. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think what they're trying to prove with that scene is something that was going on is that, um. You know the military was you know charging and 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 taking charge in the government uh the coup d'etat was forming um i i don't know if the movie is specifically when the coup d'etat happens which is in 76 but i'm sure it must have been you know becoming um and a lot of people who were supportive of this did really really terrible stuff did awful stuff and they would get they would go free the fact that uh the killer rapes and kills the woman before all of this and goes free i think it was to show that i think it was to show that who was in power at the time and no matter what um the two lawyers could do there was nothing they could do 
to solve the case because mm -hmm. power has shifted, history has shifted. Um, it was just, I think, I think they do it to show that, which actually I think is why they um, pay so much attention to the lift scene, you know, because they're in the lift until he stops it. He goes in and it's basically to intimidate them without saying a single word. And all he does is, you know, get his gun. You know, I don't know what he does. I think he like, I don't he just know. cocks the gun. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I don't know the, the, the loaded. Yeah, I don't know the, the, the gun lingo. And then he just puts it back. So it's just an intimidation tactic, which was one of the tactics that, you know, the military used. I'm really glad you explained all this because honestly, like for me, I was like completely lost in that sense. Like I knew stuff was going on, but like Arati was saying, I it, it wasn't like 100% clear his release. Yeah. I just knew that that lawyer, the other lawyer guy, whoever he was, was being an asshole and was like, well, sort of our spite yeah. towards um, the main character, the protagonist. Yeah, exactly. Because if I remember correctly, he he kind of confesses, you know, when he, when she. Yeah, of course. Oh, he does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like when, and, and, and the tactic that she uses, you know, to show that he is a rapist, um, you know, and gets the confession out of him. I, I think I think they used it as to move the story forward, but to show historically who was in power. And I think they didn't. Um, sorry, I, I think they didn't want it to be the main factor of the movie, though. Like, because it's probably like like um, here in Spain. Years lush there in Spain. Um, there have been so many movies about the civil war, you know, and the dictators. So it's like I think they didn't want the movie to be about it, but as in, okay, this happened in history, and then the killing happened, and you know, all these events happened while this was happening in real life. You know, yeah. So you get hints, but you don't actually get the whole atmosphere and climate yeah. of the situation. Yeah, which I think is good because it makes you look it up, you know. I mean, here because we have you, but otherwise, you would go online and look it up as like, okay, what was happening in Argentina in the 70s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and also the, 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 the I think the all the, the second thing that really shows the what was happening politically in the country is the fact that um, he has to leave. Mm. You know, they break and they try to kill him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He has to leave. So, um, so yeah, and there's no investigation or anything. It's just okay. You need to go because they're gonna kill you. That's what yeah, happened. exactly. They they found out that they killed the wrong guy, and you have to leave. You have to exile, which yeah. is basically what happened um, to a lot of people during that time. Yeah. A lot of. Um, lawyers uh, a lot of um, artists you know who uh, you know specifically artists and singers and painters and writers who are usually more left-wing we could say um had to exile the country because they were being hunted does that clarify <laughs> yeah i also think that the score of the movie is amazing because it kind of it helps you understand what you're supposed to feel in each scene Hmm. It's that kind of music, you know, as in it builds up or there's some release or, you know, like it guides yeah. you through the music. Yeah. It's really good.
But if I have to pick one thing, it's um, Pablo's dialogue, Pablo's line. Mm. I love that. Mm. I really love that. It's just perfect. It's gold. Yeah. I remember laughing out loud whenever he would pick up the phone and like what I, what I said before. It's just perfect. Um, I have... I, I have um, a, a linguistic question for, for, for my friends in London. Um, this whole play on words with temo y te amo. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, 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 be, you, you speak Spanish, so uh, you can get the reference. How, how did you feel, Sabri? Did you kind of understand? Because it's very tricky to translate that, well, and, and it's key, yeah. you know? How is it I fear? Temo. Temo. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I, I got it. And then, you know, because it, it was nice. It was symbolic in the end when he adds the A. And I just, no, I understood it. I felt it. It was, in, I thought it was a beautiful touch to, you know, to the to the film, really, and his yeah. character. So he's sort of no longer chasing that same, you know, what was basically holding him back all his life. He can finally let go, move on, and, you know, fall yeah. in love. <laughs> or, yeah, you know, exactly pursue that part of yeah. his life yeah yeah exactly mm -hmm. it's heartbreaking uh, the toll that you know that conversation he has with um the asshole you know before the lift before that, that with the lawyer um, yeah so with oh, the yeah. asshole how he says you are nothing you will always be nothing and she will always be a rich um mm -hmm. lawyer you know you're esposito because esposito is the surname of adopted kids. Yeah. Um, and she's a Hastings, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that you can see that it really sank, you know, like it it, it got to him. Yeah. And then eventually she she's the one who has to, like he has no guts for that, you know? She has to go and say, when are you going to talk to me? When are we going to, like, are you angry that I'm getting married to someone else? Yeah. And then, you know, he has to run away and that's sad, but... And like you said, with the doors opening and closing, that time he comes into her office and he's like, I've been thinking about this and I really need to talk to you. She's like, shut the door. She thinks and it's bad, yeah. And then Sam the world so comes sad. in and she's like, well, what? And then she's like, fuck, leave the door open, like, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Which also lies into what Sabri said, that he, like, at the end, he lets, he lets go of emo, of fear, and adds what, it, what just one simple letter change your your entire life trajectory and he goes from fear to te amo to love and actually live his life as he wanted to mm -hmm. yeah. but i love that touch as well because it's it's all going on the fact that his typewriter as well the a yeah. is missing he's yeah. so used to writing yeah. those a's so it's like it only makes sense that this is where he's supposed to add an a as well yeah. like it didn't occur yeah. to him yeah, but see, that's what makes it. It's like full poetry. Everything, like dialogue, yeah. what happens, all these temo te amo, and and even how they communicate with their eyes. Because in the last scene, he mm -hmm. doesn't even say anything. He just goes yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. I love it. yeah. Well, isn't, isn't, yeah, isn't there? Is who says it in the movie? Um, I can't remember who says it. Los ojos hablan. He, eyes, he does. I, yeah, eyes can speak. You know, I mean, just. Because that's how he recognizes the killer, just by the pictures. Yeah. Because he yeah. says the eyes that Yeah. 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 It has really. It, I do have to agree about that. It has incredible dialogue. I mean, 
one of my favorite ones is when he starts describing why he hates the word but um as in it's it's such he, you know he says you know it it, it it's such a fucking word because it kind of i love you but it kind of stops everything you know it, mm -hmm. it, it it doesn't let everything continue it just it just kind of like pauses for a second yeah. and mm -hmm. i love how he like his life is paused when he has to go and then he can't hit replay until he sees her again you know yeah yeah mm -hmm. it, it, yeah it this the the i i will say that the story and the dialogue just did it for me yeah yeah beautiful yeah i also like the way um you know the killer is portrayed in the pictures looking at her the victim yeah you know way like looking at her all the time and then she's going through um the lawyer she's going through the old pictures and she tells him what are you looking at here all cranky and he's looking at her because it's um uh, and celebration yeah. and it's like it's so <laughs> obvious none of them picking up and saying look you know what you shouldn't marry him just i love you i also like that the audience knows from the beginning who the killer is and they know they recognize it immediately but it's it's the unknown of the story of what will happen to them what will happen to to the supported to the supporting plot line that mm. until they know we don't know yeah mm -hmm. absolutely so yeah. i first watched it in university because my um one of my lecturers she would she was big into cinema and she would always give us recommendations and films to watch and then we would always sit and discuss the films and this was one of them and one of the questions that she asked was do you think that the husband had the right to do what he did and was that imprisonment really a form of justice well we go back to sean penn killing his daughter's killer right yeah but this time he's guilty yeah I answered yes with no hesitation, just FYI. And then everyone looked at me like I was a sociopath. <laughs> it's think, tricky. It's tricky. I think he does have the right, although I don't know if right is the right word to use here. I can understand him, but I think it's uh, worse for him because I think he punishes himself alongside. Like, mm. uh, like not only punishing him, he's also punishing him. Punishing By doing him. what he's doing, yeah. Because he doesn't kill him, you know? I don't believe in the in the human... The death penalty. Yeah, exactly. I don't believe in that because you're basically punishing someone. It's like when you when you tell a kid, a kid off by you don't hate and then you slap him mm. or you don't shout and then you're shouting at him, you know? I, yeah. I think that's uh, positive behavior. So I don't believe in death penalty, but at the same time, I understand that he had the need to imprison him because he couldn't live with the fact that he was, you know, free in the world. I just think that it's sad because he also punishes himself. And also, I think he puts a great he's he's such um he said Morales is such a like a correct person, you know. Uh, by all by all means, you know he he marries the girl and they have a house and they wanted to start a family and he had a job and this tragedy happens in life and you never see him in the movie freak out, 
go crazy. All he does is wait at this, you know, at the station or go to the bars or see if he can catch him. And he, he talks in a very calm tone. And the last sentence he says is, you promised me it would be life imprisonment. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he even, he even, he believes in justice so much that he, he doesn't kill him. You know, yeah. he, he knows that, you know, in a judicial system, he would be imprisoned for life. So that's what he does. Exactly. Yeah. That, I, I think that's why I feel so sorry for him because as a character, you know, his character just never really can, oh, you know, yeah. all, all he wants is justice for his wife. He, he doesn't, he doesn't need to kill him. He doesn't want to kill him. I don't even, yeah, exactly. I don't even think he wants to kill him. He just wants justice for what happened to him. Okay. I have a question for you guys. What do you think, like what triggers Ricardo Darín after being in that farm and seeing what he saw to run to her and decide to go ahead and tell her that she, that he loves her? You know what it is? The whole point is that he becomes so fixated with the case purely because he's so centered on the fact that the husband is obsessed with finding his wife's killer and the love that the husband has for the wife doesn't die. And that's what he finds interesting and admirable. And he, it's like he wants to understand what it is to feel that way about a person. And I think he is disappointed when he initially leaves because he's like, after all this time, you know, you were going to the stations, you were sitting there, you were waiting, and now you're telling me it's been 25 years. Like, what kind of reason is that? And it's like, it's almost disheartening for him. And he's, he is practically on the brink of giving up. But then when everything clicks and he realizes, no, that's not the case, these 25 years, that man has still been showing dedication to his wife by trying to find some kind of justice. And he's like, well, that's it. He's like, if I've managed to hold this for this woman that long, there's no reason why I can't go and say what I can say now. And it's like that tiny thing clicks for him. Yeah. Yeah, for me, for me, it's that. The fact that he, it's so weird that it's such a juxtaposition that he clicks on what his true love is by watching true love unfold in a prison cell with a with a murdered wife and all of that in, in such yeah. a, in such a tragic in such a tragic circumstances you know and i would add time like time flies by i mean out of nowhere just 25 years pass and you've not been with the person that you want you've not worked where you want to work you've not done what you really truly want to do passion just time i think it's I really just the like- fact that he needed the closure really at the end yeah from that case which then yeah led him to go after what he really wanted yeah but it kind of is what you said about that you know i also like the conversation that they had on the sofa when he says i always tell myself no that was another life you know like yeah. there's nothing about it it's in the past and you're you're watching it and you're like no it's not another life it's your life and it's happening now so just you know it's a great exactly. movie and so it, yeah. it's 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 a great movie i'm very proud of that movie i'm very proud of the way that they told the story and of course i'm absolutely not objective but it's <laughs> <a great movie. laughs> my mom's obsessed with it just fyi yeah 
if I do get her to come and speak about it, like she's she's watched it like so many times. She loves it. Obsessed. Abate, you wanna Okay. Um we move to the poll. So yeah, so you would have to say the total scores. Okay. Yeah. So we will start with Mystic River, right? Mm. Uh so Annie gives Mystic River a strong eight point four. Yeah. Um, Arrate myself gives Mr. River as well an 8.4, Belinda 8.1, and Sabrina 7.6. Yes, I just wanted, before we move to El Secreto, I just wanted to highlight that the strongest points in Mystic River are definitely acting and directing. Yes. I lost my pen. Um, so that really speaks volumes um, of the movie. So there you go. Absolutely. Okay. El secreto de sus ojos, um, or as American people would say, el secreto de sus ojos, <laughs> uh, goes with a nine for Annie, nine point four for Arrate. Um, I can't believe I I just beat you to it when it's an Argentinian movie, so no respect whatsoever. Belinda eight point nine, Sabrina eight point nine, and the strongest <laughs> points are for plot acting, cinematography, and directing. And spice points. Um, do you guys want to explain your spice points? Yeah, he is yeah. gorgeous. And the, the, what's her name? The female protagonist, she's gorgeous. I love them both. Yeah. yeah. So spice points go to her as well. Yeah. And to the chemistry. The spice yeah, everything. the chemistry as well. Yeah. Okay. In my case, I gave spice points for uh, Pablo's dialogue and the way he flirts without flirting with her you know like he's just giving messages and you know like oh um, why are you dressed in black when you're an angel you know all that dialogue yeah and also to ricardo darin because he's just yummy yes he is super hot before we leave listeners we have we're going to end the sessions with trying to describe a, 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 the best thing about something that we loved in, in movies we we we're going to add lists and we're going to give our answers it's going to be one per session and the person who chooses the movie the so the person who chooses the movie has to choose the question at the end of the session and that way we we know that we're not thinking about them and so it's like like that like quick okay okay i think i'm going to choose best love scene non-sexual best love scene non-sexual Mm -hmm. Oh my god! And, and is this for from me, watched or from anything in general? This is like a general question. Let's think that it's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, because you know, uh -huh. probably I'm gonna say something, and then when I think about it again, something else will come up. Uh, but maybe we can play it as in first thing that comes to mind. You know? Okay, okay. then I have one. Does that sound? Because otherwise, you know, I will I will go crazy because I will keep thinking about it and then I'll change my answer and then I'll be like, no, 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 I won't. Okay. 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 Annie. Oh, me first? Oh, God. Okay. So my, the first uh, love scene, non-sexual that came to mind is the scene between Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams in Blue Valentine when they are sitting in the street and he is playing the ukulele. Going back to the theme that we had today, which is the realness behind 
characters and stories and try to make them as real as possible. That mm -hmm. scene for me, when I saw it, is just super real because who hasn't sat on the street, you know, with someone you have a crush on or you like and kind of like, yay, you're flirting and laughing at stupid jokes. And I mean, I, you know, I wish I had Ryan Gosling playing the ukulele, but you know, it just, <laughs> it just, adds, it just adds. And I really, really love that scene because there's very little dialogue and it's just them being together. And and you can see you can see that they're like falling for each other. That's the first one that came to mind. If I think about this answer, I could have a, a million answers. Yeah, this is hard. But I always think of one tiny scene in um, the movie Say Anything with John Cusack. Oh! Box. Okay, so they're walking on the street and then there's just broken glass on the floor and he just sort of pulls her to the side. He's like, oh, watch out, broken glass. And he kind of just pulls her towards oh, him. <laughs> yes, that's right. And I know that just stuck with me and I always think about that scene. We're but yet, like, I, I probably have like a hundred different ones, but that, that always sticks with me for some reason. That's a good one. Arate, please. Should <laughs> <laughs> I go first? Yeah, you can. I can't. I can't um, think. For me, one of the non-sexual love scenes that I love the most and actually makes me kind of skip a heartbeat is uh, *Pride and Prejudice* with Keira Knightley. Oh my god! At the end, <laughs> when he just walks towards her, and then he gives that love speech saying, if you still feel the same, I'll move on. I'll never mention it again. But if your feelings have changed, <laughs> so he gives the whole speech and then she just holds his hand. Oh my God, I'm gonna cry. Seriously. She's gonna kill me when I say I haven't seen this movie. Oh my God. But then when she says, your hands are cold, it's like, is that everything you're gonna say? Like, really? But there's no peace, there's no, like, there's just pure love for one another. Damn, guys, I don't have anything to say. Why? I don't know. I can't think of anything. And it can be between, um, it, it doesn't have to be a, a like, love, um, like, no, love know. between a man and a woman. I know, I know, but I can't think of anything, like, super, super specific. You fail. Yeah. No, you don't. Joking. Um, I don't know. Keep talking. In the meantime, maybe something will come to my mind. I mean, there's so many. I mean, La La Land at the end. Oh, that's so heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, yes. When they look at each other, and you can see that they still they're in love, but it's. I mean, that's, a, that's... no. Okay, wait. The end of Ghost. When oh he's my fighting, god. And he's going up, and he finally tells her he loves her, and she replies with ditto. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. That's a good one. That's a good one. Good question, Arade. Yes. yes. <laughs> this was really good.